You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Welcome here this morning. Welcome here. So glad you're here with us and uh, looking forward to what God has for us. Uh, if you're here with us, you know the power of what we've just been singing. You can feel it in the room. If you're not here with us, I pray that you are experiencing the same thing in your living rooms uh, today as we worship Jesus. doesn't matter where you are, you can experience the reality of the living God. Uh, hey, let's get in our Bibles this morning to the book of Haggai. Haggai, almost done the minor prophets now, only three left, Haggai, and a couple more after that. And so it's the, right at the end of the book of the Old Testament. If you get to the New Testament, you're too far. Third last book of the Old Testament, uh, Haggai. And uh, really been learning a lot. I hope you have too about what God has for us and even about God's character as we've studied the Word of God together. And so you get to the book of Haggai. I just want to start this sermon today by uh, giving you three phrases that I have been giving you over and over over the last nine years. Three phrases that really summarize the book of Haggai this morning. Have you recalled me saying this to you in the past? Major on the majors, minor on the minors. What about this one? Keep the main thing, the main thing. What about this one? First things first. All those phrases are not unique to me, but they're ones that I've picked up on somewhere and relayed them to you because they're meaningful to me, because they're impactful, they're powerful, and they drive us back to to drill down into what God has for us, what's the most important thing God has for us, and then to dig deep and ask God for the strength to not just know it in our heads, but to live it out in our hearts. And really Haggai comes onto the picture and he really has the same message for God's people in that day, which is so applicable to us in our day. Really Haggai is just a little minor blip in the Bible, if you think of it this way. He's a little column in God's grand newspaper. He only has two chapters. He's, he's like the in-between at the conference. All the big name speakers and Haggai gets up to give the announcements or a closing prayer. And yet what Haggai delivers us in these two chapters is impactful and profound. And if we'll have our ears and, and spiritual eyes open to listen, God can do some significant things through the book of Haggai. Here's what Haggai really tells us. He says this, hey God's people, hey church, hey church, in the midst of all all the busyness in the midst of all that's going on the pandemic, don't forget to major on God's majors. Don't forget to keep God's thing, the main thing. Don't forget that God, to keep God's things, first things. Haggai comes and he basically just delivers this little sermon, this little prayer, and he drops the mic and walks off the platform leaving God's people squirming a little bit at first, going, oh my goodness, this is making me uncomfortable. But in the end, longing to enlist and jump in into God's army and what God has for them in this day and age. Really, Haggai says this to God's people. He says this, hey, don't grow weary with God. Don't get tired of doing God's work because God has so much more for you, for your lives and for his glory. The year this was written was 520 B.C. 
16 years before this book was written, the Persian uh, king Cyrus allowed the Babylonian exiles to come back to the land. He's in exile for all these years. He says, come back to the land. Well, they come back to the land all excited, but coming back to their land is like going back to your old high school that has since closed down. They come back and they're thinking all the big masses. They're thinking of all the worship services in the temple. They come back and everything is in absolute ruins. It's ruins. It's rubble. It's remnant of God's people, and it's restoration that's needed. And so all the pomp and glory, they're like, yeah, yeah, we're back. Ah, it's all gone. It's different. Where's the glory days? Of the most things that were gone that they missed, it was the temple. The temple was not just a building back then. It was the the, the significance of God in their midst. It was the place that that housed the presence of the living God here on this earth. Their temple was gone. And so as soon as they got back, they knew the first thing that would have to happen is their temple would have to be restored into its old form according to Solomon's glory that he built the temple. And so Ezra records all this. If you look back to the book of Ezra, it gives context to the book of Haggai. So Ezra says that when they came back, they immediately saw all the work that needs to be done. They said, hey, forget about everything else. Forget about all, the, all the, the perks and all the freedoms we have now. The first comes first. We have to restore God in the midst of his people. Don't forget the temple was the, the primary reality of the Israelite people. Everything they did revolved around the temple. And so what they did initially, they got back and they, they had a little build, building fund they raised uh, today's day and they raised five million dollars, and everybody got to work cleaning and restoring and laying the foundation of the temple again. And it was back to like a bit of a good old day for Israel. They were back in their land. The temple was being built. All was good in the hood, restoring the name and the work of God. It was a pretty good point in Israel's history. A lot of the minor prophets, it was so bad, it was so bad. This was actually a good point. It was a high point. The left over few that were so faithful to God are actually doing what God had called them to, but it was only for a little while. As they go about honoring God and doing the things that were God had called them to, rebuilding the temple, then all of a sudden, uh, things started to get hard again. Just like today. Every time you make a step forward today, things get difficult in your Christian faith. Anytime a church wants to make a, a big step forward, it seems like the enemy opposes. And so that's what started happening here. People then started opposing. At first, it was like, hey, it was excellent. They're allowing us to build our temple again. And things started unraveling for them. The Samaritans who initially offered to help them rebuild the temple just out of goodwill, they said, no, this is our work, our task. They turned on them, like, oh, you don't want our help, then we're going to oppose you. King Cyrus died in, a, in battle, and so the king that invited them back to battle, the new regime came in, they had a whole different tune. They, they marched to a beat of a different drum. They said, no, we don't want that thing going here. And all of a sudden, this opposition started coming from everywhere. And so for God's people, it was like, rah, 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 rah. Oh, it's hard. Oh, there's opposition. Oh, now things are getting difficult. And their interests started fading. Their involvement in the temple started dwindling. And before you knew it, all this goodwill they had to rebuild the temple, they became okay with worshiping in a ruined temple. They got sidetracked with all the things that we get sidetracked with today. Well, I got family to attend to, and I got a job, and I have kids' activities, and I have sporting events. I got home rental projects and all these different things. And they basically just started living the status quo, okay with a torn down temple and just doing their thing. And they really got comfortable and coasting in their relationship with God. 
all was good, as cozy as they could be. God was blessing, and yet the temple that housed the presence of the living God in their midst was in ruins. Like tumbleweed through a western town, the original decree and zeal for the temple were gone with the wind. And they lived in that place for a number of years until 16 years after they came back, God tapped Haggai on the shoulder and said, hey, Haggai, I have a mission for you. I have a task for you. And you might not get center stage. You might not be the main speaker at the conference, but your, important, your message is going to be so important for my people. I'm tired of their complacency. I'm tired of their superficial sacrifices. I'm tired of falling further and further and further down their priority list to almost being at the bottom of their agenda. Hey, yeah, we go give them that message. I said it before. Can you imagine being a prophet? Go deliver this message. Jesus loves you, this I know. Now get your lives back in tow. Well, that's not supposed to end that way. Got a solo for you. Jesus loves you. This I know. Time to get your lives back in tow. It's time for a new day is Haggai's message. Haggai the prophet simply means messenger of the Lord. His name is so vague, we really don't know what it means. It means festival or feast, and so we don't know the significance of that, maybe because he was born on a festival or feast day, but I think more importantly because God was longing for his people to once again rejoice in his presence and have the, a real, lasting, longing celebration of festivities that God is with his people once again, and his people are all into God. Interesting, all the prophets, except for three of them, Haggai being one of those three, partnering with Zechariah, all the prophets were pointing to, hey, the kingdom's going to fall, the kingdom's going to fall, the kingdom's going to fall. Haggai and Zechariah and other prophets say, hey, the kingdom already fell. Let's look forward to what God is going to do. There's restoration ahead. So really he gives the, the, the pep rally, the let's go, God's mission first, God's priorities first, let's go. It's such a good word for us today especially those of us who need that surfboard kicked out from underneath us so that we can swim hard after God's glory again and stop coasting. This is the message of Haggai to his church. It's time to take stock in what I am living for. That's verse, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Could have entitled this anything this morning. I've entitled it God's work for God's glory. First point is this. It's time to take stock of what I'm living for, and that is seen in chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Look at the text here. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month of the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai. The word of the Lord came by the hand and the mouth of Haggai, the faithful servant, the prophet, uh, to Zerubbabel, the son of, of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoza, Jehozadak, the high priest. Just get right to it. Here's Hosea coming, or, sorry, Haggai coming to give the message. He, this says the Lord of hosts. Look at no intro, no no. Small talk, just like, hey, let's get to the message. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of the Haggai, the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. In other words, I've told them to rebuild the house, 
but they're still saying, not yet, God, maybe tomorrow, but tomorrow's never coming. What gives? The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. He says it twice here, for good measure. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses where the house lies in ruins? In other words, hey, hey, church, you're getting a little comfortable, God's people. You have paneled houses. We think, oh, paneled houses, that's kind of cheap and, and flimsy. No one likes paneled houses. Back in this day, paneled houses were nice houses. Basically, what he's saying is, hey, you're taking care of your own stuff. You're really good at that right now. What about my stuff? Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, has circled these three words, consider your ways. Five times it says it in this text, consider your ways. In chapter 1, verses 5 and 7, and in chapter 2, uh, three times as well. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Stop and take stock. Before you flap your gums, hey, you honoring me? Oh, yeah, of course I'm honoring you. Before you start flapping your gums, stop and think about it. Are you really honoring me with your whole lives? It's a good word for us, isn't it? We get going so fast, we sometimes forget to stop and really consider our ways. We get so good at the Christian lingo and so good at saying the right things and putting on the right faces, but when was the last time you actually stopped to consider your ways? Look what it says in verse six. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. In other words, you're striving for everything. You're striving for everything. And somehow you never seem to be getting ahead. What God's saying is, I know why you're not getting ahead, because your priorities are all mixed up. Until you get your priorities straight, you are never going to get ahead. And so you're going to be working hard at sowing, but the harvest is going to be small until your priorities get straight. You're going to eat, but it's always going to be wanting something else, something more, until your priorities get straight. You're going to clothe yourselves, all the nicest clothing and all the name brands. You put layers on, but you're always going to be cold and longing for more until your priorities get straight. You're going to keep bringing the big paycheck, but it's going to keep going out the back door. You've forgotten to put God first. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Notice again here in verse 7. Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. What house? He's talking about his house. That I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Stop worrying about your stuff for a minute and worry about my stuff. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, it blew away. Same message, right? Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins. Well, each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you and have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and the grain and the new wine and the oil and the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. Basically what he's saying is keep it up and you can expect the same thing over and over and over again. You can ignore this mess, just keep it up, but you can expect that all the same things are going to happen in our lives. We read just this first little section, we're like, oh, wow. So God really does care about my priorities. Every time the pastors preach about priorities, and I just say, oh, another sermon on priorities, like, like God really does care about it. It's not just them trying to stir me up to do their thing. It's, it's actually God speaking to me to do his thing. Wow, I didn't realize. I didn't realize that blessing truly only comes with 100% commitment to the Lord. Don't forget, this is a message to the remnant. This is the faithful people. Even faithful people can get their priorities all upside down at different times in their lives. 
This is a reminder to get them straight again. Isn't it true we're just like the Israelites? Big victories, big blessings, we praise the Lord, we're all in. And then somehow a few years later, we're like, where did that go? And we start talking about our faith in the has-beens and used-to-do and instead of the present reality of how we're serving God wholeheartedly now. I started thinking about this in my own life, thinking about this as pastoring churches for a number of years now, and the reality is of how we get to that place. How does a nation get to that place? How do we get to that place? Well, there's four things I think I've come up with in my own life, I mean, your, your lives, I've interacted with you, that, 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 that remind me that it's so easy that we can get our lives from revolving on God to revolving on me in just a few short steps. Meanwhile, long for the best, but then distractions come our way. Have you ever been distracted by the world? Ever distracted by the things of this earth? Things get too easy, you start taking God for granted, you get too busy with other things, and it becomes, instead of God first, me second, it's, it's me first, God second. There was a day when you used to serve God wholeheartedly. You used to be in your devotions every morning. You used to be having those spiritual conversations. You used to be in all the different discipleship groups and small group and serving church. That was the day. But, but now, today, well, I got kids now, and there's so much things going on with my kids that I don't have time for that stuff or my job. I'm in the prime of my career, and how can I have time for that stuff when my career takes such precedence? Or maybe those home rental projects that we have to do, they're, 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 they're there, and the, and the calendars or the social calendar are filling up, and the pre- pleasurable pursuits and everything else takes precedence over God's stuff. Found yourself there lately? What about this? I, I once was committed to giving generously to the church, and I used to be all into that, but, but now it's a pandemic on, and it's, it's things going on, and, and the church is going well. I don't really need to give that. I have things I want. I have things I need. And we start taking God for granted, and comfort takes over, and we're okay with mediocre things of the Lord in our lives, but everything else has this high standard of excellence. Have you found yourself distracted? No, you're not alone, because the Israelites did, but there's hope for that. What about this? You ever found yourself discouraged? Takes your focus off the things of the Lord, and your priorities get all mixed up? You know, I used to go hard after things, but then things just plain got hard. And the, the roof started accumulating all this, this load, and the roof started sagging. You got focused on the roof, and then the, the, the burdens of life started coming up from the floor like a flood, like a, a flooded basement, and the, the walls started pressing in, and all these discouragements happening, and, and I thought my life was supposed to be this hallmark card, and, and it's not, and so I got discouraged. and said, okay, God, enough with that. I'm going to do my own thing now. You ever found yourself there? Along the same line, what about doubts, fears, and anxieties that come in and you lead you to questioning God? You see injustices going on and you feel the pain that you can't seem to get over and you don't see prayers being answered. And even sometimes in church, it gets rough and it gets hard and, and things just aren't the way they're supposed to be. The, 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 the faucet of blessing isn't flowing like you thought it should. And so you, you, you start having doubts. And somehow your doubts slowly but surely take you down this path that leads away from God instead of to God. And so God's still on the radar, but not the center of the radar. What about this one? Dreams. We get so caught up in our own dreams, don't we? The 
message is, let's live your dreams, and you can accomplish your dreams, you'll be satisfied, so we live our dreams, and our kids are going to make the NHL, or they're going to make some sort of league anyways, right, and they're going to make Ivy League maybe, and and got my career goals and my aspirations, and I got this cottage I want to buy, and the bigger house that's going to come, and I got all these dreams, and all my dreams, next thing you know, that God's dreams are so far out of your mind that you're just living your dreams, and God's dreams are just the token nod on a Sunday morning or in a casual conversation. Told you it was going to make you squirm a little bit. It makes me squirm a little bit. But the reality is, God sent Haggai, not just to punch him in the nose, but to, 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 to come along and get, you look in their face and say, hey, hey, people, hey, church, hey, God's people, there's something greater that God has designed you for than simply just living your lives in cozy comfort and keeping God as an add-on to your life. God is not an add-on to our life. Just like the temple in that day was supposed to be the center of their whole universe, so God is supposed to be the center of our whole universe in our lives in every way. Yes, it'd be awesome to have a church building one day. It'd be awesome. And so, so that's just a, a side note to this. That, that, that God does want us to engage and, and put our resources to, to get a building for the Lord here. But we know the temple of God now is the, the, each individual living by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he longs to be first and foremost in every one of our lives and to not neglect the work of the Lord in us and through us. Hey, guys, message Hey, God's people, God loves you too much to let you continue walking without him being your everything. Wake up. Smarten up. Get up and get going for God again. Is that something you need to hear today? Some of you don't need to hear that. You're all in. You've always been all in. You've not wavered once in your zeal for the Lord. You, you, you make me envy you with your passion and your zeal and, and want to be like you. This isn't for you guys. Yeah, maybe take stock. But what about you who are sitting on the fence now who used to be like so in and now are so like pretend in but sort of out? Maybe it's time for you today to take stock, consider your ways. What about for you that have never really been in. You've been coming maybe to this church or serving the Lord for years and you've never really jumped in. You've been sitting on the sidelines. You've been watching everyone else do all the work and you've been coming home, going, coming here, going to your paneled houses, enjoying your lives. Let me just tell you this, for the last two categories, God is just saying this, come on, let's go, let's go for the kingdom of God. Now's the time to go for the kingdom of God, which leads us to point number two. Let's get back to work for God's kingdom. That's the message of verses 12 to uh, one verse Chapter 1, verse 12 to 2, verse 9. Now let's get back to work for the kingdom of God. I love this. Only 23 days into the revival meetings, Haggai is coming. He's coming to preach. Only 23 days into the revival meetings, guess what? People start responding. Haggai is like the revival pastor that comes, and people the first few days are like, yeah, we've heard this before. We've heard this before. Our pastor tells us this every single week, and somehow a new voice, a fresh voice comes in. They start getting this vision, this passion. They're saying, 23 days later, they're like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Thanks for coming. And, and the rulers of the day are jumping for joy. Zerubbabel's thrilled about this. The governor of the day, Joshua, the priest, is, is doing the dance of joy on the side because the people are starting to get it. Look at Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant. Notice it's the remnant. It's only the choice few that remain faithful to the end that are starting to get this message. 
Remnant we think of as in leftovers, throw them, away, throw them away. No way. Remnant in God's economy is the cream of the crop that actually listens to the word of God and hears the word of God that he holds on to, and they hold on to him their whole lives. And so the remnant would be a good thing. That would be us, not for the garburator, but for the good things of God. Look what they did. They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. That is, to hear it, they obeyed it. In other words, revival started happening in their midst. Awesome. Little Haggai, revival happened. The words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had seen them, seen, sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Notice this. When our priorities get out of whack, here's the, here's the core root of the problem. It's not busyness. It's not that somebody else has something more important for you. It's the fear of the Lord gets out of whack. Where the fear of the Lord is right, with an awe and a reverence and a respect of God is right, priorities will be right. In other words, if our priorities get wrong, the first place to start is repentance. Get on our faces and say, God, my priorities have been wrong. And then look to the heavens and say, God, renew me. I want a greater view of you. I want a greater awe of you. I want to be obedient to you. That's where revival happens. Think about this. We fear a lot of things, don't we? We fear the pandemic, we fear financial ruin, we fear loss of reputation, we fear a lot of things. What about fearing? What about fearing that the name of the Lord is not going to go forward because of your life or your church? What about fearing the fact that, that others may not hear of Jesus because of our complacency possibly in this world? What about fearing the fact that God might not become more famous in this day and age in this community? People feared the Lord. They truly feared the Lord. They listened to the Lord. They came undone. It says here that God promises that I'll be with you. When you become undone and you make a choice to pursue God with all that you have, he promises this, I will be with you, declares the Lord, verse 13. So it's not even like you have to become undone and get up and put yourself back together and do it yourself. No, it's I am with you. You become undone and I will put you back together and I'll make you useful again, people, for the glory of God. And the Lord stirred up the spirit, the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant, and they came and worked. Notice this, God stirred them up. The message of God took hold. They started seeing the reality of their own lives, the reality of the world around them. God's message took hold. They got stirred up. Notice what they got stirred up to do. What did they get stirred up to do? I circled my Bible. Verse 14, they got stirred up to work. See that? To work on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. They, they didn't even get stirred to go into a little spiritual head of a worship service or, or even to a little prayer meeting. Those things are all good and right and proper. Absolutely. But all those things should stir us and spur us to greater pursuit of effectiveness for the kingdom of God. To work hard for the kingdom of God. Because all those other things without work, we just become spiritual fat cats. It's like eating all day and never exercising. You see the glory of God. He's not just a meal to be consumed. He's a, the God of the universe to, 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 to bow and worship and behold his glory. And his glory causes us to be changed in the inside out and to get after working for the Lord. And notice this, the word work. We often circle that word and cross it out, right? I don't like the word work. I'm hoping for retirement earlier than later. I just don't like that word work. And yet work is what God has created us and designed us to do. 
Work isn't a result of the curse. Work was before the sin, curse of sin came. What did Adam and Eve doing in the Garden of Eden, sitting by the sea, collecting seashells? Not at all. They were working. They were, they were governing the land. They were um, overseeing the animals. And work became harder because of the curse. But God has created us for a purposeful existence to actually work. The most purposeful existence you can have is working for the kingdom of God. And building up his work, not ours. They worked in the house of the Lord, the host of hosts their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, the second year of Darius the king. Haggai comes. He preaches for 23 days. 23 days later, the people start to get it. Their hearts are being stirred. They long for God's work to be done. And they start realizing that, oh my goodness, I've been missing it this whole time. We came back. We were so zealous. Somehow we got into the comfortable, cozy life, but I've missed it. God, I want to once again surrender my whole life to you. I'm all in for the kingdom of God. They started realizing again that their days weren't actually theirs. They were God's. They started realizing that their dimes, their money, actually weren't just to fill a bank account and get rich. They were there for the glory of God. They realized that their duties even beyond the building of the temple they were put on earth and their duties belong to God. Whatever you do, it says in Colossians 3.23, do it for the glory of God. And they realized that even their delights, their delights, the things they take pride in and joy in, that was God's too. Here's what I'm praying for this church as we Move on and you guys stay put. Here's what I'm praying for this church, that God would once again stir us collectively together to realize that our days and our dimes and our duties and our delights are all God's and I, my goal is to live a fully surrendered life to Jesus Christ. Do you realize that the work is not yet done in this region for the glory of God? Do you realize that? Yes, by the Lord's grace, a foundation has been laid. By the Lord's grace, a foundation has been laid. But the work is so far from done. Like I told you at the beginning of this thing, I'll tell you at the end too. God wants you to be fully engaged in his work here for his glory. Maybe you came and you're all fired up nine years ago and last two or three, you've just been backing up, backing up, backing up. God's saying back in for the glory of God. Maybe you've been here and, and you've just been going through the motions just from the very first moment you came. God's saying now it's time to step up for the glory of God. We have, we have so many things to accomplish for the glory of God. It's his kingdom. It's his kingdom. Think about this. It's his kingdom. It's souls being saved. I have to be honest. This really hit me on the way to church today. I was driving down 406 and at Geneva Street it was blocked off because somebody jumped this morning. I'm thinking here I am going to church. I'm going to preach a message. And try and stir our people to be all in for the glory of God because God calls us to his work. And the urgency is right before us. There's people without hope. There's people lost and dying so much so that they maybe ended their life this morning as you drove to work, as you drove to church. And some of us have the audacity to say it's somebody else's job. Church doesn't need me. I got better things to do. All my preferences are all being met at that church. I better go, really? 
There's so much more to accomplish for the kingdom of God. has just laid the foundations. All he's done in the last nine years, he's laid a foundation. Praise the Lord. But the walls now of his kingdom here in Niagara have to be built, and he wants you to do it. There's Harvest Kids Ministry. There's Youth Ministry, Student Ministry. There's Worship Teams. There's Small Groups. There's Welcome Ministry. There's Compassion Ministries that we've been longing to do, but we need the people to do them. All these different things need to be done, but it's going to take you to hear the voice of the Lord and to respond as the people respond. Allow God to stir you for what matters most. Will you listen? Will you do it? Will you let God do it? Would you believe that there's greater days ahead than days behind for God's purposes? Brings us to point number three. God's got more glory ahead than behind. God's got more glory ahead than behind. That's chapter two, the first section of chapter two. God's got more glory ahead than behind. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, speak now to Zerubbabel and the, the governor and Joshua, the high priest, and in all the remnant of the people, and say this, say this, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not nothing in your eyes? See, what was happening here is the people started working hard. They started working hard. They're like, yeah, we're all in, coach. We're all in, coach. They start going, and, and just four weeks after that, 23 days after it started, four weeks after that, they're working hard for four weeks, and all of a sudden after four weeks, they started getting discouragement. It's like the churchgoer that hears that powerful word and gets all emotionally stirred and comes to the front and prays, leaves church going like, this is going to be a different week. Monday morning, wake up, and it all goes back to normal. So this is happening here with God's people. They're so stirred. Four weeks later, they're like, oh my goodness, this is not at all what I thought it was going to be. They started looking at the former temple, the Solomon's temple. Remember how glorious that thing was? They're looking at Solomon's temple. They're looking at this little temple of ruins. They're like, it's never going to look like the old thing again. Oh, the glory days of high school are never going to be the same. This high school is never going to be the same. They started getting discouraged. They started getting bogged down with other things. Notice it's the seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles this was happening. So maybe they're even seeing like, man, man, it's, it's, it's been hard. The, the celebrations aren't what they used to be either. They started getting discouraged. And so Haggai, I remember he's just a prophet. He had the headphones on. He's the coach with the headphones on. God's up in the press box giving him the instructions. God says, Haggai, I see they're getting discouraged. I see they're now starting to compare the former thing to the, the, they don't think they can live up to the last thing, to the new thing. And just tell them this, tell them this, Haggai, tell them this. Look what he says. Be strong. Don't worry about what's behind. Don't worry about what's behind. Now you yet now be strong. Yet when? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua. Be strong, O the people of the land. Work for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Isn't this sweet? Be strong, be strong, be strong. Deuteronomy 31.6, Moses, final charge to his people, be strong. Joshua 1, 8 and 9, before he entered the land, God said, be strong and courageous. First Chronicles 29, David to Solomon as he built the temple, be strong. Ephesians 6.10, God to us as we fight the spiritual battle, be strong. God to his people as they build on the foundation that was laid, be strong and courageous. My spirit is here, amen? Amen? So don't fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet in a little while, 
I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. He's talking judgment. He's going to shake things up for real. And I will shake the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. He's going to shake it all loose. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord. In other words, he's going to take all the treasures of the nations. He's going to put it into one place, the, the, the temple of the Lord, so that the glory of the Lord will once again be among his people. God's going to provide. God's going to do it. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord. Just do it. Forget your excuses. Forget your discouragements. Forget your doubts. Forget your dreams. It's the glory of the Lord we long for. And God's promises when his church rallies together and pursues it, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. And I in this place will give peace declares the Lord. God's got greater things in store and he will give peace, declares the Lord. I am with you, fear not. I will give you peace. The glory of yesterday is a distant past, but the glory of tomorrow is a present hope. I think what he's telling his people is don't look back, look forward. Don't look behind, look ahead. Stop looking in the rear view mirror of your car. Look through the windshield because there is a glorious sunrise right in front of you that if you keep looking in the back, looking backwards, you're never going to see it. But if you look forward, your mouth will drop again. Your eyes will be big. Your heart will bounce with wonder. You'll see the glory of God and you'll engage in what God is going to do. God has so much more ahead for your lives. Ultimately, it's this, it's this. God wants to reveal his glory now more than ever before. Remember we started praying when we launched this church? I remember. Exodus 33, that was so crucial to my calling here. Exodus 33, show us your glory, Lord. If you don't go with us, we're not going. Show us your glory. Show us your glory. How will we not be set apart from anyone else on this earth but by your glory? Show us your glory. God wants you to get back to like, just show me your glory. Forget about all the other stuff. Just show us your glory. Just have an awe of God, more of God, more of glory, his glory, more salvation, more baptism, more sin addictions broken, more of God's glory is what we are. Ought to long for. And God promises if that's where we get, it might come through a whole lot of repentance in some hearts. It might come through a whole lot of rearranged priorities in some hearts. It, it might come with a whole lot of putting my agenda aside in some hearts. But if we get back on God's page seeking for just his glory, guess what he promises? He will do it. God, give us more of only what you can do. Because the rest of this passage points out that God is waiting to pour out his blessings on his church or his people. I pray that's your heart. I, I pray that somehow God is stirring you once again with the glory of God. That God is stirring you once again for the things that matter most that we started this church upon. That in, in some ways that, that it's easy to forget about those things nine years later. Let's not forget those things. I pray that God's stirring your heart once again just to, to see God do something significant in your life and in this region. No more coasting. No more, no more frivolous worship. No more, no more skewed priorities. It's God and God alone. 
He promises that we get on that page, guess what? He's going to bless his people. God is waiting to pour out his blessing on his church if we will heed the voice of the Lord this morning. Even though they say this now, I'm sure the people in that day are like, God, how can you bless us? We're so contaminated. The, the temple's only half built. How do we know for sure? Look what God says. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold in his garment and touches uh, with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil of any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered, no. In other words, can something that's holy make anything else holy? The answer is... Of course not. Only God makes us holy, right? I can't make my kids holy. I can't make you holy. Only God makes me holy. I pray that God will make us holy. So what he's saying is, is don't forget, like, like, you can't make anyone holy. You can't make anyone good. The priest answered, no. The Haggai said, but if someone who is unclean by contact with the dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? Obviously, that's part of Levitical law, right? If you touch something unclean, you touch something else, it becomes unclean. Haggai answered the people, says, so it is. Haggai said, of course. Well, yes, it becomes unclean. It says so in the word of God. And in other words, it's easier to make someone unclean than it is to make someone clean. God uses this to show them that, hey, so it is with this people and with the nation before me. So it is with every work of their hands. Instead of making things cleaner, they've actually made a big mess of it, and they're kind of a messy nation. It's a, it's a messy endeavor. And what they offer is unclean. They've, they've been coming and putting these temple sacrifices in. Their, their worship has been meaning nothing to the Lord because they've been neglecting the things of the Lord. And he's saying, so this is you. You're not actually making people holy. You're actually getting worse off. But now then, consider this day on, from this day onward. As they repented, as they got back to God's work, he says, even though you are a messy nation, you have no reason within you to be blessed. Get this, this is God's heart. I will still bless you. Before stone was placed upon the stone of the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? Remember the beginning of chapter 1? Maybe you were working so hard, striving, getting nothing. How did you fare? It wasn't going well. Things were good, but it wasn't going well. You wouldn't understand the promise and the blessing, the fullness of God. But verse 16, consider from this day forward. Notice how God makes it clear this day. Like mark it on your calendar. Circle it. We're not going backwards. We're going forwards. Since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider this. Since they got it all going again, is the seed not yet in the barn? Indeed, the wine, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. In other words, all the lost years are going to be blessed as they now focused on the things of the Lord. God promises to bless his people even though they were unworthy of blessing. Even though they made a mess of things, God promises, you know, you humble yourself, you repent, you get back all in, and I will bless you, and you'll see blessing like never before. And then he has this little promise at the end that is so key to this, so key to this, get this. He promises a rubble will be a chosen signet. What a signet is, it's the rules that they would have a little ring with their, their, their likeness on it or their signature per se. And so the signet would be like the stamp of approval and things. So they put it around their neck. It was one of those prized possessions. It was the authority of the person carrying the signet. So it's something like that. So you have a signet and I'm the king and I just put my king stamp on it. Or I take it and put my king stamp on it. God promises Zerubbabel, the governor, notice the governor of the land, that he will be... 
God's signet. In other words, God's going to hold him close. God's going to protect him. He's going to be precious to the Lord. And what God is doing is promising to, to reinstate the dynasty of David, which will link, lead to King Jesus, who will come and be the ultimate savior and blessing of everyone in the universe, all coming from God's, God's people responding to God's call to get back all into the Lord. That's that passage in a nutshell. I know you can study further on that. But think about this. Think about this. The blessing of the Lord, the blessing of the Lord for those who choose to hear his voice and to engage with everything they have in the work of the Lord. Renewal, revival, Restoration. Forget rubble, forget ruin. Renewal, revival, restoration. The walls will be built. The glory of God will never fade in this place. Isn't this amazing? This is the promise of God for the years ahead. We started 10 years ago in Chicago. I prayed, God, do something in 10 years that we can look back upon and say, it's only God. The second half of my prayer was, God, do something in 50 years that long after I maybe left this earth or 100 years, that may there still be gospel impact in St. Catharines for the glory of God. God leaves you with this promise. You rally. You rally around the, the leadership here. You rally around the vision that God has placed here. And guess what? You will see God's work go forward in even greater ways than you've seen in the past. Amen. Ultimately, not for Zerubbabel, not for King David, but for King Jesus, whom is the ultimate one that God holds close to his heart, who God keeps close in his hand, who God promises to bless the whole universe through, who God promises to make his name famous and allow his work to go forward, that he will reign now and forevermore on his proper throne in heaven with the remnant. Get this, with the remnant not the throw is the cream of the crop, the cream of the crop that actually choose to follow Jesus with all that they have. Haggai. That's one in-between sermon that is worth hearing. Most people go to the bathroom at conferences between the big speakers. Don't use the restroom when Haggai speaks. God's spoken through his prophet. His prophet just now has to drop the mic and let God do his work. Will you let God do his work in you? Will you be committed to letting God do his work through this church? This is a, this is a rally cry. This is a stir him up, spur him on moment. Because God is so not done showing you his glory. He's so not done saving souls in Niagara. He's so not done his work until Jesus comes back. And you heard anything from all the other prophets. Don't miss that call. Jesus is coming back. There's going to be judgment and there's going to be blessing. And the greatest blessing ever is for those who are all in for Jesus. When he comes back, will he find you all in? Will he find you loving him, serving him, and building his kingdom? Let me pray. God, we love you. Thank you for this strong word. It's true, Father. It makes us squirm a little bit as we check our priorities. God, would you help us check our priorities right now? Would you convict us where our priorities are backwards? 
Would you help us rearrange things in order of what you desire God first and, and his work? And Would you not let us fall into complacency, O Lord? Would you keep us eager for the things of you? Would you keep us longing for more of you in our lives, in our church, in our community? Ultimately, Lord, we pray that your glory would fall down. Your glory would fall down. You'd change your people from the inside out. You'd save people on the outside and bring them in. And that we would do everything with all of our hearts for one reason and one purpose, the glory of your Son. Please, O oh God, hear our prayers and do the necessary work you have to do in us.